Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 148th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And for those watching on video, uh, you'll notice that we have another guest with us. It's one of those special weeks. It's Ed Dorrell. So hello, Ed. Hi, Frank. Hi, Stan. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a, it's a, it's a special week for Frank and Stan chat. So thank you. Um, so Ed, do you want to just introduce yourself for those people who might not know who you are and perhaps <laughs> how we, how we met? Oh God, that, that, know, it goes back a few that's years. a challenge. I, I think you might have to remind me. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm Ed Dorrell. I'm a director at a firm called Public First, which does a load of research and comms and uh, policy thinking in the world of education. And uh, I am a former deputy editor of the TES. And in my current role, I spend a fair bit of time uh, thinking about labour education policy. Yeah. And uh, I, I, when I was working at a fairly senior level in Ofsted, I would meet Ed often, I think, somewhere around the Houses of Parliament or somewhere. I, Ed Ed's a, uh, Ed's a, loves, loves a beer. So I do remember uh, um, having a beer or two with Ed. <laughs> uh, mm. I, the last time I think Ed was a, a white pub. I, I seem to remember that. But anyway. Red line, think, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, Jeff Barton was there as well. But I don't know what the event was. But uh, But anyway. I actually think we just bumped into each other. <laughs> I think I was meeting Jeff and you were there. All oh, right. I assumed uh, it was a coincidence, but maybe it wasn't. No, well, somebody I might have been. Yeah, I, 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 I said it wasn't yeah. stalking you. Anyway, uh, Stan, uh, had a good week? Yeah, I think I think it's been a, a, a good week. We've had a very busy week because it's end of financial year and VAT returns. And when you're the administration, it suddenly becomes a lot of work. <laughs> but yeah. It, it feels good to have got out of that end now. Great. Okay, so um, what's caught your eye this week, Stan? Um, well, there was a report, um, done by a survey done by the NFER for Sutton Trust, um, talking to leaders of primary, I think it was 1,400 primaries. Uh, and what was significant is 50% were talking about cutting back on school visits, trips, because the money's not going to stretch far enough. And also, which I found quite worrying, as if these were, were things you can just throw away, they were cutting back on IT equipment and TAs, as if TAs were disposable uh, elements in the in the school. And this is all because there's not enough money to, to stretch. Uh, and it was worse in areas of, of deprivation. Schools in disadvantaged areas, it was 68% of schools that were likely to or were already cutting back on what I think are the experiences that children in those areas need more than maybe some of the the, mm. uh, the children in advantaged areas. So it's it's very sad. And it's, I suppose for me, it, it, that's the reality as opposed to the the, the guff that, that comes out saying how well-funded schools are and how there's plenty of money. And, and I, I saw some of the stuff that the DFE put out and I, I was really quite appalled. I think that, it's interesting, it triggers something in my mind as well because I also um, read this week, I mean, as a CEO of a trust, there was always a desire to sort of 
pull all the gag funding together and then redistribute it as if you were going to be the sort of like the funding you're going to create your own sort of internal funding formula um and i i resisted that as uh, as much as i could but i know that some trusts are starting to do quite a lot more of that sort of pooling of gag funding uh i think primarily you know probably with the best of in you know intentions to try and shore up some of those sort of deficiencies or weaknesses in the funding formula or affecting some of those uh, poorer communities but at least i hope that's the intention um but yeah i mean it seems to be that the kevin collins recovery program the 15 billion you know which was going to spend a you know a, a chunk of this on those sorts of activities you know we're, we're certainly feeling the effects of it now have you got well, a take on it ed uh yeah i mean yes i, I mean I, I agree broadly with everything you've said i think it's a well tragedy is hyperbole but you know I was a journalist, so it's, let's use hyperbole. Uh, um, <laughs> it, 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 you know, uh, school trips are more than just uh, outing sort of Ada Calais, as Stan says, you know, especially in deprived communities, expanding horizons and cultural capital is absolutely essential mm. bringing kids along with you on the learning journey. And um, to see them being cut is, is very sad. Actually, within the same research was 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 this stuff about the pupil premium, and how uh, a third or something of heads uh, are now using the pupil premium to plug general funding gaps, which um, I think is kind of illustrative and of, of the wider funding crisis and profoundly worrying. Mm-hmm. You know, it is always the case when we, yeah. when when education gets into these financial troubles. Um, that unfortunately it is the poorest kids who bear the brunt. Yeah. Yeah. Secondaries we're talking about um, reduction in the number of subjects as well, which which get. has been happening for a while as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is not new news. I mean, there are other drivers of that um, beyond just funding. You know, yeah. progress eight is driving a real, really thinning out of um, the secondary curriculum at Key Stage Four, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, especially in in schools which in, in deprived communities which are driven artist by Ofsted and, and, and the league tables. Yeah. I mean, we, could, we won't do it, but actually, the, the, again, that discussion is leading me to the T levels, <laughs> to be honest, uh, and, and all the risks around that, you know, and, and a sort of reduction in opportunity for post-16 kids, um, particularly some of those who are from the most uh, uh, disadvantaged communities for whom educa- the educational journey is perhaps a little bit delayed. For a number of reasons, and and need as many opportunities to to climb that ladder rather than just one or two. But anyway, that's well, probably the potential creative future of yeah. the country yeah. that that's you know not going to be able to do art and music and drama because those subjects are not offered, but will be doing maths till they're eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense. Well, I mean, the, the question over the delivery of maths to eighteen is pretty deep, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, in, uh, it, 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 even if you, well, depend, you know, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea is almost neither here nor there. But whether yeah. it's in any way, shape, or form deliverable is is, is mute. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before we get on to asking you, Ed, what's caught your eye this week? I'm taken with that photograph behind your head there. <laughs> well, behind my head, you've got two. You've got. Positions. Well, I know who the person is on the right hand uh, on my screen on the right hand. It's Tony. That yeah. is a piece of political memorabilia that predates 1997. <laughs> and, and the photograph? 
The photo is a picture of one Richard Nixon bowling in uh, the basement of the White House. All right. Wow. Why, why he, is that there, he, he he had his oh because it's an amazing photo. Um, no, no, I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Chicky Dicky fan. Don't worry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. He he cleared out the basement he, of the White House when he was president, and they built him his own personal bowling alley. My <laughs> word. And it, it was not Obama turned into his own personal basketball court. It's the same space. Oh, is that the same place? So yeah. what what is it after after Trump? Then? Do we know <laughs> the mind boggles? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ed, what's caught your eye this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like change of tone. For the last several weeks, actually, well, longer probably, um, I've been uh, becoming increasingly worried about the attendance crisis and how um, attendance across the board, but especially in schools and deprived communities, uh, is is really failing to recover in any meaningful way from from the pandemic. Uh, And what caught my eye was an anecdote, which I believe to be true, because I know the teacher in question, um, which I heard literally only half an hour ago. This teacher teaches in a deprived secondary in a, sorry, a, a secondary in a deprived, rural community in the south of england and today friday the 28th she has eight kids in her top set maths out of 32 eight kids the reason being of course that yesterday was a strike day uh monday is a bank holiday and tuesday is another strike day so for the price of one naughty absence parents are getting six days off mm. um and uh parents because family is getting six days off my point being, I think you can make a very strong argument. There is literally no way before COVID that parents wouldn't have been sending their kids in. Mm. I think there has there is a crisis in the relationship between parents mm. and mandatory schooling mm. um, as a result of COVID. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I agree. and um, you know, if we we being the collective, I suppose, country society. I don't blame schools for a second for it. Uh, don't think about how we rebuild that social contract. Then we are looking at a bona fide educational crisis. But doesn't all the issues you said before about Progress 8 and all those decisions, all of those impinge, don't they, in terms of what the offer is, particularly in the second? Well, I think it's 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 harmed, I think, in the primary sector as well as the secondary. But isn't there that sort of lack of, Lack of range, I suppose, in one way um, to describe it. A time when you're thinking about how do we draw young people back into schooling, I would have thought the last thing you want to do is narrow the opportunities. So that takes us back then, doesn't it, to T-levels, general uh, vocational qualifications, you know, Progress 8, all of this sort of stuff. Um, Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the crisis in... Sorry, the, the other end of things, the cost of holidays... In, in school holiday season. Mm. Oh, yeah. And that's the fact that paying a £50, £60 fine is far cheaper than than trying to go or trying to be good and take holidays only in school holiday time. Yeah. I don't condone it. I just understand why people would look at that and say, well, it's, you know, for value for money, we can get a lot of days holiday this next yeah. fortnight for... Do you, do you think you get to a point where you just say, "We'll treat it like work," 
and 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 children are allowed to have two weeks off during term time just to sort of try and overcome this this problem. You, well, you need to rebuild. You need to rebuild the entire structure of the academic year, then, wouldn't you? Because you mm. need to get yeah. two more weeks back in to term time to make up for that. Because yeah. two weeks less teaching. And the problem is, wherever you put it, all that happens then for, in terms mm. of prices, they they just go through the roof for for the two weeks. Yeah. Oh. And, and teachers and teachers would say, and you guys know this better than me, I'm sure. But teachers would say it's not just about the kids missing out on no. the teaching. It's that when they come back, yeah. the teacher in question then has to catch up that yeah. kid who's absent yeah. and the other kids miss out. So I don't think it's as simple as just saying everyone gets a two-week allocation. Mm. Because, as you know, you know from you know better than me, curriculum progress is, is largely together mm. in yeah. education. Um, your point, Stan, sorry, Frank, um, the the uh, the crisis in attendance is is definitely driven in part by parents and their relationship with mandatory schooling, but also obviously there is a mental health crisis of some description going on out there, and and too many kids, especially after COVID, are really struggling with their own mental health, and that that often manifests itself in, in their relationship with with full time school, and. Yes, it's not a stretch to suggest that in some circumstances the increasingly pared-back nature of the curriculum probably doesn't help. Mm. I, I think that's a reasonable argument. Um, I think if Labour get in next year, God willing, um, uh, uh, I think you will see, you won't see the curriculum being torn up, actually, and nor I think will you see assessment being yeah. you know, rebuilt from the ground up, mainly because teachers and heads have told them that the system just doesn't have the energy for that kind of yes. reform. But I think you'll see a concerted effort, especially at Key Stage 4. Uh, actually, that's not true. It's in primary and and in secondary um, to inc- use the levers in the DFE to in- significantly encourage schools to rebuild a more balanced approach to um, oh. to their offer at Key Stage 4 and at Key Stage 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I stopped. I've just been talking for ages, and I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. No, uh, just taking it all in, I suppose. Yeah, uh, yeah is it, 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 I, I chair an in, uh, I'm not going to break confidence with who said it, um, but I do chair, an, I'm an independent chair of a uh, school in, improvement uh, group in one of our northern local authorities. And uh, a colleague mentioned this week at a meeting about the difficulties of actually getting kids who have gone to EHE, which relates to this, you know, um, who, who whose parents have decided that they're going to be uh, uh, taught at home. Actually getting them back is proving really tricky, particularly at post-16, um, that, that, that they're just sort of out of the flow of it. And, and there is a uh, difficulty in just engaging with those young people um, because they've actually, you know, mi- missing the education is is one element of it through COVID, but actually missing it and then actually being taught at home in that sort of fairly sort of small environment, you know, uh, with just one or two people teaching you to go into, say, a post-16 college with, you know, a couple of thousand kids roaming around, you know, all fairly relaxed and whatever is very, very challenging. 
So, you know, the, 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 we're finding EHE is, has gone through the roof. Um, and some of that is driven, we believe, by sort of mental health issues of uh, related to parents. Their own mental health is not in a good place, you know. Yep. Is there also a culture shift, though, that, that says, well, actually, we went through COVID, the, the, the children, you know, hardly went to school in some cases, and it doesn't seem to, you know, I'm talking <laughs> from a middle-class point of view, probably, it didn't seem to do them any yeah. harm. So, um, you know, maybe school's not as important and maybe family is more important. And, no, and no, I mean, that, that, I mean that, that is literally what is happening, Stan. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't say in my intro, I spend um, a, 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 a lot of my time <laughs> um, running focus groups for various different organisations, um, talking to parents about education. And I ran a focus group about a month ago for CPO, yeah. It's UCL's Centre for Education Policy and Equalising Opportunities. They're a really good mob. They had a big, big um, policy release about three or four weeks, three weeks ago. We did some um, qualitative research with parents um, to back it up. And um, the focus group I ran with parents, um, lower middle class parents in York, was, you know, eye-opening on the subject of attendance. Really, really eye-opening. And and that is what you've just said, Stan, is is almost verbatim what some of the parents said to me. This is what I mean about parents' yeah. relationship with mandatory education, is that we didn't, you know, are my kids fine? They didn't go to school for yeah. some six months during the during COVID, and they're okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not been the end of the world. So empirically what they see before them is that, you know, it really doesn't matter if they miss a bit of school here and there. Mm. Which, yeah. which we know as educationists isn't true. No, but you know, on a one-on-one relationship with your kid, you see, you see a fine and happy kid. Mm. Yeah, it's really challenging. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, what's caught my eye um, is uh, well, I've got a list here. I was going to say it's going to be one thing, but I'm going to stick with what I said I was going to cover. Uh, Offqual. Um, so what happened was I um, uh, work, do some work with the Northern Powers Partnership. We've always been concerned for a fair length of time about the impact of COVID on northern communities, particularly the most disadvantaged. And we were not that we were opposed to strike action, but it, the strike action um, that's underway now, um, as Ed has said, you know, it's having an impact in terms of... Um, in terms of attendance and it's uh, it's affecting the sort of the, the push towards the examinations so we uh, the sunday times ran an article two weeks ago uh i got a response from joe saxton who runs off qual on the saturday the day before the um the article saying in effect saying um you know, we're going to make an announcement, uh, and it, it, it and it did go some way because uh, it was only a two or three sentences, but it gave me the impression it was going to be an announcement. There was an understanding of these difficulties, and then I think it was last week I got the two-page letter that basically said uh, the last sentence of it said basically we're not doing anything. Yeah, we're not changing anything. Nothing's changed, and of course, Ofqual think that they've actually sort of. Uh, They've they've adapted and 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 you know the 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 recovery towards twenty nineteen grading has take has gone has been undertaken over a, a couple of years. So in effect, to them, that's what they see as the transition. For me, that just doesn't 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 reflect 
the issues that you've been talking about this morning, Ed, the issues that I'm seeing in schools, the the disruption that's taking place. Um, and, and in a way, it's just there was not even a, a, a the, the letter didn't even give you the impression that there was a willingness to even sort of engage with the issue. And for me, you know, where where we got to with Ofsted last week um, on the Laura Koonsberg program, you know, I think that that was quite damaging for the for the brand of Ofsted. And I think that what Ofqual are doing at the moment is is damaging to the brand of Ofqual as well. And uh, I just feel as though the kids that are, that need the extra leg up are not getting it at the moment. So that's what's caught my eye this week. Yeah, have you, Ed? Well, we got some happy. When was the last time you went into a secondary school and walked around? I mean, that's not a leading question, but do, do you, for me, I walk around quite a lot of secondary schools, and and actually, when we've been talking about the experiences that children have, there's a sort of like it's a bit formulaic. You know, the the, the teaching has become sort of quite restricted. You know, and it's not because I'm walking around. Often these visits are made unannounced, but there is a this sort of lack of. Um, there, it's as if there's a. It's all this factory production towards exams is leading towards a sort of fairly standard approach to how teachers teach. I know that's that's a. You know, there are no doubt loads of teachers out there that are doing a brilliant job, but there is this sort of that actually around how how you deliver these the to get the results. How, what you have to do to deliver to those results to get the examination results. It's a bit of a formula. It feels like there's not a place for, I don't mean the wild and wacky, but just the different approach. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, there's, there's two things, aren't there? I mean, to your point about Ofqual and Ofsted, um, I think I think probably both have significant Birmingham comms challenges in terms of way. Um, and, and they both, I think, at the moment, very struggle to, very, very much struggle to, articulate the humanity uh of what of the area that they're regulating um but uh, i mean putting that to one side the question about schools how teachers teach and you know what some people would call exam factories um i mean a really interesting question for me about that is that there are lots of people in the world of my multi-academy trust and I'm, i'm not going to take a position on this um not least of all because I'm not a teacher and I've never been a teacher and I've, I've always resisted talking directly yeah. about pedagogy. It's not my, um, I think if you haven't done it, um, you should be very wary of finding on it. Yeah, like I, 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 I'm not going to tell you how to run, uh, a, be a deputy editor of the TES either. So, so, um, so putting it on one side, what I would say is um, there's a fair number of people in the world of multi-academy trust who, 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 who wouldn't have any... Um, Problem with what you've described. Let's say the yes. system has now been built such that we know what works, yeah, uh, and um, we know how to run schools and how to deliver curriculum or curricula in, in deprived communities. And in so doing, it might not be shiny and sexy. In so doing, we bring lots and lots of kids uh, along a learning journey, which means that they um achieve certainly sufficiently well to improve their lives mm-hmm. now that's what some people would say uh, the, the flip side of course is, is what i guess is your take which is the joy a lot of the joy of learning is eroded um 
and those sort of systems driven mats uh are not very well designed for the different kids the unusual kids the kids who need something else yeah um and they get lost either actively or passively along the way he says <laughs> there's certain behaviors um um and i i, I honestly i i'm never never quite sure where i stand on it i think I, I agree have significant amount have significant, significant strength Instead of in an ideal world, you'd have a hybrid or something. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't quite know where we land. And as ever with education, you know, you swing from one extreme to the other. Um, but uh, I, I think both those work. If 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 the schools are absolutely committed to doing the work the way they do, then it, it does work. And, and you can go in a, a very strict school and be impressed by the fact that the children are walking with their hands behind the back and everything else. And... And that's great if that school works, if that's what those parents want. But you can also go to a school that's doing just as well, where the children have far more freedom, they're far more creative, etc. But what I'm saying is the problem is we try to duplicate a, a desired effect. And when you try and duplicate at either of those ends of the spectrum, it doesn't work because there isn't the commitment to that way of working because it's not been developed in the schools where you try and drop it. So the argument goes, doesn't it, that, um, and this is what people in the, in the top of DFE right now would say, is actually that's not quite true, Stan. It is much easier to replicate the trad strict school yes. than yeah. it is to replicate uh, School 21. Mm. Uh, you know, the magic formula of School 21 is much, much harder to roll out. Yes. Um I am tempted. I have sympathy with that argument, um, but but I don't. I don't know how true it is. Um, I, I mean, I, to your point, uh, Stan. Yeah, this is what always why I defend at least the first few years of um, the free school movement. Uh, this is a line I've rehearsed way too many times, but you know, at each end of the um, central line, you have um, Michaela at one end and you have school 21 at the other end yeah. and they're both serving very deprived communities and both getting extraordinary results. And actually um, having those examples of, of what can be done if you are a radical head teacher who has radical thoughts and, and challenges, um, priors and norms, is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think, I think for me it was around, um, it's if it's as if it doesn't sort of morph into something else. I suppose, in a sense, um, there, there. It, it, I mean, the, you've, uh, as a as a head teacher, I was always very concerned about you know a, a free for all in in the school. You know, as it, it, there there were points in my sort of leadership when I thought, no, we need to we need to really sort of just pull this back again. You know, we've we've really gone uh, a little bit too too far here. I mean, I mean, one thing that struck me was I remember. We were inspected in 1999, and uh, it was the summer, and everybody was shot to us. So we had nothing left. So we decided to do a crazy thing, and that was we had about 450 kids, and we were going to put a, a production on in a day. So, you know, because it meant no disruption. It was just one day of hell, and it was hell, you know, and it wasn't a very good production. And, and we all felt sort of disappointed by it. But actually, for me, it was around an attempt to sort of just try and loosen things up a little bit. 
having loosened it up, I was immediately then wanted to pull it all back again and tighten it down a lot more. So we never did anything like that. So I think that this idea, though, that for me, the, the, the corridors where you have to walk on one side of the corridor all the time, that, that for me feels fine if actually you're trying to set some uh, parameters and some order to the place. But actually insisting on that as, as young people get older, when in fact in, in life, that's very rare that you have to do that. You know, um, it feels as though it just needs to be, it needs to flow, I, th I think, you know, towards something that's perhaps a little bit more liberal if actually they demonstrate that they can, when you want them to, they can follow that order. You know, I, I, I just think we've become very, it's become very one side or the other side. Yeah. And it needs to fluctuate between that a little bit more, I think. A lot of it in primary law is, is down to the confidence, isn't it? You know, if you if you have the confidence to say, we're going to do something like you... I mean, I always refer back to our art week where we're doing no nothing else, no maths, no English. We're doing art, whole school for a whole week. And then sitting back and waiting for the middle-class parents to write to me to say, you know, you're an idiot, you know. And, <laughs> I was expecting an explosion. I wrote, told the parents what we were doing. The end of day one, all I got from parents was the children have had a great day. They've really enjoyed themselves. This is fantastic. You should do this more often. Blah. Exactly the opposite response of what I thought I would get. Yes, there were one or two who said, but what about his reading? Well, you know, for this week, we're not going to be listening mm. to him read, but you can. Nothing wrong with you continuing to do that. But this is an art week. And it was. We had reception children working with year six and, and the whole mix. It was fantastic. Right. But I wouldn't like to try and do it every week or, <laughs> or more than a, um, week in a year. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old who would like nothing more than that. <laughs> hey, um, one I'm a middle-class parent who'd be very content as well. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the one that got me, the, the child that made it all worthwhile for me, we, we did. We tried to do some some carving of stones. We, the local quarry gave us some stones, and we had chisels and, and mallets. You know, health and so they did have goggles on. They didn't have anything else, but they had goggles on. And when I went up to him, he's only in year one, I think. And I said, "And what are you doing? I'm going to carve a picture of Jesus." And that's what he was going to do on his piece of stone. And I just thought, this is fantastic. What <laughs> you know, all the influences that have come down on this young young man, and that's what he wants to do with his time. It was fantastic. Right. Well, before we finish this chat, um, I did have an email from uh somebody who watches the, the program called Joan Kiesel, who I I've worked with for a number of years. Joan wondered what our thoughts were on chat gpt and and how it may influence education going forward so stan revealed beforehand that you put your name into no i, I, I tried to download it but it wanted to know who i was and i thought <laughs> you're not going to know that <laughs> you're too smart to, to have that information but when we chatted about this before ed you put your thing your, your thumbs up to say you know uh you, you keep have you got a view on this uh I think it it almost certainly will be a huge challenge. I mean, I mean, a almost era defining challenge. Yeah. Uh, I think the exam system could go one of two ways. Um, almost, almost because of because yeah. of what we were talking about um, earlier at the top of education right now about sort of replication. Um, the knee jerk reaction seems to have been um, from most of the exam boards. 
and others that the answer is just ensuring that we have pens and paper exams, um, which I have some sympathy with. I mean, it is a very obvious and logical answer to at least the problem with assessment. Yes. Um, the IB, who I, you know, full disclosure, I do some work with, um, uh, have an alternative take, which is that um, kids need to learn to use it and needs to learn to work with it. And uh, their take is that you should, to some extent, embrace it and train mm-hmm. your children and train young people to use it as another source, just as, you know, when they're, when they're, when they're researching coursework or essays or whatever, um, just as, you know, you would encourage them to go and look at academic literature or, or textbooks or whatever. Yeah. Um, you should, if, if they are going to use chat GPT, which they almost certainly will, um, teach them to analyze, um, what its output is. If they're going to quote it, quote it as a source, um, and analyze the strengths and weaknesses of what it's saying. Mm. Um, which, given the fact that ChatGPT and AI is going to be around for the rest of our lives, yes. is a really interesting and quite a brave take, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think I think that is interesting. Uh, I'll finish with an anecdote. Actually, on and lots of your viewers and listeners will already know this um, from their own life in schools. But I was on a train about, I don't know, six weeks ago or something. And there were um, four middle-class mums uh, on the train, on the seats, just literally like, directly behind me. They were all colleagues, and they were um, on the way to some conference. And uh, they were talking completely transparently about how the fact that all of their kids were already using ChatGPT to do history um, essays. Mm. Um, so this is here so, and now. Yeah. Yes. And yes. a live issue, and in itself, that is pretty bloody terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think we we need to understand. You know, we're using it before we really understand it as a as a mm. as a country, as a world. It, it it's a free gift, and yet I don't think we know enough about its power and the 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 downside of it. You know, people's jobs. I know we always say computers are going to take everyone's jobs, but this is. You know, it can. You know, I know the. I think it's the music associations have have banned the um, a song written by AI uh, yeah. because it affects obviously musicians on top. But how long can you stop that for? Yeah. Uh, you know, it. I mean, my answer is we need to burn the servers. <laughs> I've seen Terminator Two. So we know. I know how this ends. So at the end, how this ends. At the end of this discussion, we always have one thing that you would change, Ed, to improve education. So, are you suggesting that we just burn the servers? Is that the? Is that the That's my. That is my answer. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Ed Dorrell, uh, for being a great guest, and uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, for, we're back again next week. So, uh, thank you, everybody who watches and listens to Frankenstein Chat. So, uh, until next week, it's uh, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.